Well, good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with you. Hope you all had a great Thanksgiving. Uh, we had a great one in our household. All the children were here except for Andrew, who some of you know is traveling in Columbia, South America. Uh, he did write me 10 days ago and said he's farming. He's sheep farming right now. Um, some of you have heard of this thing called woofing. It's where you uh, hire yourself out to local farmers in exchange for room and board. And he's been doing that around Columbia. Um, again, South America, not South Carolina. And, um, so anyway, he's going to be doing that for another month or so. But he said, you know, I'm at this sheep farm and I've got lots of other people from around the world and they're all cooking international food and we decided that it would be good for me to cook Thanksgiving meal. And so he wanted me to send all my mother's recipes that I cook that he's used to having. So he sent us pictures, he made, you know, homemade egg noodles, rolled them out, did the whole business, and uh, it's a lot of fun. So uh, apparently uh, he said, the Colombians now understand a, while why Americans like Thanksgiving, and B, why we're so fat. <laughs> so, um, and thank you for those of you who've been praying for him. Uh, he's had, he had one little uh, sickness we found out, he told us about a week later, because he knew his mother would have freaked out and taken a plane. Um, but for a few days he didn't have a, he was out in the middle of the jungle, I mean, like an hour and a half from civilization, up on a mountain and a farm there, and came down with 105 fever. I uh, had to walk out of the jungle um, for like a half a day to get to a hospital. But they they took blood tests, and like eight or ten hours later, so Plumi didn't have any strange tropical diseases. So um, we're grateful for that, and he seems he seems to be okay. But thank you for those you've been praying for him. If you haven't been here for a while, or maybe not at all, if you're a visitor, um, you may not. We've been working our way through the Apostles' Creed um, for a long time. And um, we're about halfway. Actually, a little further than that. Um, but we've been trying to remind ourselves that this creed, that we don't say every week in, at Muncie, but we do say it at, uh, at significant points. Um, often we say it at the Eucharist, we say it at baptism, um, we often say it at funerals. Um, these sort of really pivotal points of our uh, communal faith, we remind ourselves um, who it is, who it is, in, in whom do we place our trust, who is this God? Um, it's one thing just to, to throw around the word God. It's another thing to give that word some content. And, and we are bold to do that. And so um, the Apostles' Creed uh, is an ancient creed. And it is a creed that's used widely around the world. And so it's one thing that uh, we hold in common uh, with a lot of Christians. And it is a distillation of a lot of the key 
features from scripture that define for us who God is, who is this God in whom we place our trust. And so last week we dealt with what is widely regarded to be uh, the most, really the only really controversial part of the creed, which is the one that sometimes is left out in, in some uh, uh, churches. Uh, sometimes it has an asterisk. Um, sometimes uh, it's just there. And that's uh, the phrase, uh, descended uh, to the realm of the dead, or descended to hell. And so we, we tried to work through that last week um, and talked about Jesus um, going to the very limit of human existence, right? Go, that Jesus didn't sort of come and pretend to be human um, and then sort of slip away, but that Jesus goes through the very depths, even goes to the realm of the dead. And we talked about how the church has thought about that, and there's more than one way to think about that. Um, but today we come on Christ the King Day. Um, we'll say a word about that in a minute. Uh, today's Christ the King Day. On Christ the King Day, we come uh, to the next phrase where Jesus, on the third day, rose from the dead. Okay, on the third day, he rose from the dead. Which is appropriate on Christ the King Day. Um, a lot of you got a lot of uh, people who know a lot about the liturgical year, but some of you grew up in, if you're like me, you grew up in congregations that didn't necessarily follow the liturgical calendar, except for maybe Christmas and Easter. Um, Christ the King Day is actually the most recent uh, edition. It's really uh, quite recent. It's not an ancient um, one. Um, Mark actually mentioned this in, uh, Mark Gooden mentioned this in the early service, if you were there. We were on the same page today. Well, I'm going to tell you a little more, so just so you get your money's worth. Um, it was actually 1925, after um, World War I, when there was a lot of turmoil. Uh, most of us don't remember that. Um, we've read about it, but most of us weren't there. Um, and one of the things that the, the church was anxious about was that with the rise of communism and all other kinds of issues, there was uh, a great push about challenging people about where their allegiances were. And the church wanted to say that ultimately your allegiance is to Christ the King. Jesus is, is the, the one to whom we give our ultimate loyalty. So whatever your other loyalties are, um, they have to be subordinate. Okay? Whatever you, having loyalty to your country is fine. Um, having loyalty to a way of life and a form of government is fine. But ultimately, those loyalties are subordinate, secondary to your loyalty to God in Christ. And so uh, this particular um, reminder was actually originally placed uh, at, at the, supposed to be the last Sunday of October, uh, right before All Saints Day. 
Um, but, it, but it was shifted in 1969, which again is very recently, um, to come on the last Sunday before Advent. So which is, this is actually the last Sunday of the year, right, in the liturgical year, because next week we begin Advent, which is the first of the year. It's confusing um, because we think of calendar years. But the church year is different than the calendar year, right? You know this. And so the last Sunday of the year is Christ the King Sunday. So that's today. Okay. And it's when we're reminded of, it's Jesus who reigns. Okay, it's Jesus who reigns. Jesus is the King and Jesus reigns. And Jesus reigns um, especially, and because we wouldn't have Christ the King Sunday, wouldn't be here at all. Right? If it were not for this part that we're affirming today. Um, I was thinking this week, you know, we're getting ready for Christmas and we, you know, we make a big deal of Christmas. And it's not a bad thing to make a big deal of Christmas. Um, scripturally, you know, if we took out Christmas, you take out a couple of chapters of Matthew, you take out a couple of chapters of Luke. And that's pretty much it. Have you ever noticed that before? Uh, almost none of the rest of the New Testament makes anything at all of Jesus' birth. Which is not to say it's not important. Obviously, if Jesus wasn't born, then we wouldn't be here either. But the only reason the early church cared about Jesus' birth and the only reason the Gospels are really one long passion narrative in, in one level is because Jesus was raised from the dead. All right? I mean, lots of people were crucified by Rome. Lots of people, thousands of people were crucified by Rome. Uh, Lots of people gave their life, right, in honor of the God of Abraham, Jacob, right? Lots did, right? John the Baptist is a kind of martyr, a prophet. There were lots of prophets who were, who were killed and martyred. But God only raised up one from the dead in this way, and we'll try to remind ourselves what's, what's different about the resurrection. So this really is the kind of pivot of our faith. And I know we all know that, and I was thinking this, I was thinking all week as I was thinking about what we would talk about and think through today. Um, there's not much I can say, I'm hoping there's not much I'll say today that isn't anything other than a reminder of what you already know. Um, but I think that's okay. Right? I think that's okay. I'm not sure we can be reminded too much. Um, part of what we said, the reason we want to be reminded about these creeds is that they not only remind us who God is, but they also once we are reminded who God is, it reminds us who we are. And every day I've got a hundred voices telling me who I am, or who I should be, or who I ought to want to be, 
right? And so I need a reminder of who I am. And that's who I am is not apart from who God is. And so Paul's very clear. We're going to read some from uh, 1 Corinthians 15. Paul's very clear that if, if you take away the resurrection, everything falls apart. Uh, our, our faith hinges on this, right? Um, again, the, the early followers of Jesus would not have taken decades to try to, you know, we, we spent quite a bit of time sorting through, like, what is God doing on the cross? Those early followers of Jesus would not have taken literally decades sorting through, searching their scriptures, their Hebrew scriptures, like, what is God doing on the cross? They would not have done that. <clears throat> Had Jesus not risen for the dead, they, they just would have had a failed Messiah. He just would have been another one who came along who they thought was the one who it turned out wasn't. So it's precisely God raising Jesus from the dead. That is, in some ways, God's you know, stamp of approval on Jesus and distinguishes him from everyone. And that has lots of implications, uh, not just for our future, although it does have implications clearly for our future, but it has implications for today. So if you have your Bible, if you want to open up to 1 Corinthians 15, um, which is Paul's longest treatment uh, of the resurrection, uh, we'll read a little bit of this. We're going to start after the train. <laughs> but we're going to start around verse 3, if you want to find of chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians. Apostles' Creed, as we said, is not itself scripture, but it's rooted in scripture. Everything that's in there, somebody didn't just make it up, it's from scripture. Um, it's one of the, it's part of the tradition. You now remember tradition is, comes from this Latin word that just means to hand something down. And Paul very specifically is talking about what has been handed to him and what he himself is handing down. And that's that's honestly why we do what we do each Sunday when we gather. I mean, I like you all. It's fun to be with you. Um, and maybe we would do this um, otherwise. But part of what we're doing is we're trying to be clear about what's been handed down to us so that we can hand it down faithfully to others. Right? I mean, we stand in a... I mean, it's, it's really astonishing when you think about it. Right? For 2,000 years, faithful Christians have been trying to hand this tradition, this good news down. And we, we have received it. So what are we going to do? We have a pretty big responsibility, right, to hand that down as faithfully as we can. And here's what Paul says, beginning in verse 3. For I handed on to you, as of first importance, what I in turn had received 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. And he appeared to Cephas, or Peter, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers and sisters at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me. So just kind of summary of the gospel right there, right? That Jesus died for our sins according to the scriptures, and on the third day he rose from the dead according to the scriptures. Okay. For Paul, this is this is this is the kernel. This is this is the center. Right? This is the core of who we are. <coughs> and it's it's for this reason that if you if you if you had to just say one thing about who is this God, um, you wouldn't be wrong to say this God is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Right? That's one of the ways to identify this God. This God is the one who raised Jesus from the dead. Now Paul goes on to say a little bit later. Because there's apparently in the Corinthian church, there were those who wondered what the impact would be on them. Uh, would they too be raised from the dead? And Paul is trying to insist, yes, of course. But he goes on to, and so he says in verse 12, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? And go down to verse 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have died in Christ have perished. If for this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. We've said this before, but we want to say it again. It's important to be reminded that when we say, when we say the word resurrection 2,000 years later, we think we know exactly what we're talking about. Um, what we need to be clear about is what happens to Jesus on the third day is something that had never happened before. had never happened before. And they had a word for it. They had a word for it because the Jews had an expectation of it. But what they thought was going to happen didn't happen exactly the way they thought it was going to happen. Now you see their expectation um, most clearly in the Gospel of John when Jesus comes late, according to the sisters, right, to Lazarus after Lazarus has died, right? This is in chapter 11 of John. 
And so Jesus asks, is in conversation with Martha. They're upset, like, Jesus, if you'd have been here, our brother wouldn't have died. Like, what's, what's the deal? Um, we sent word, and you, like, took your time. That's got to be irritating. Um, it's like calling 911, and they come three days later. It's like, that's not very helpful. Like, if you'd have come when we called you, you could have done something. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, this is verse 21 of chapter 11. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus said to her, I and the resurrection and the life. But the Jewish expectation was that at the end of at the end of time, God was going to resurrect everyone. Right? Everyone. Right? And then there would be the great sorting out. Right? There, then there would be judgment and God would set all things right. So, Martha says, yeah, I know. I know he's going to rise. I know he's going to be resurrected at the last day. And so, what was absolutely mind-bending and sent also the Christians, the early followers of Jesus, scrambling was when Jesus is raised from the dead. And to be clear... What happens to Jesus is not what happened to Lazarus. Okay? It's always important to be clear about this. Um, Lazarus died again. Okay? Lazarus died again. So Jesus enters into a new kind of life where death no longer touches him. He is the firstborn, the firstfruits, Paul says in other places, the firstfruits from the dead. So, so Jesus is brought to life and enters into a way of life that is incorruptible. It's different than anything anyone had seen. But the question for them was, what does it mean that what we thought God was going to do to everyone has happened at the last day, has happened to this one now? What can that mean? And what does it say about this one to whom it has happened? Well, they thought it meant several things. First of all, they thought it was God's ultimate vindication, God's ultimate yes to everybody else's no. Right. I mean, because for the for the Jewish people to die the kind of death that Jesus died, where he was condemned, not merely by the 
the Roman officials, the government officials, but more importantly condemned by the religious officials was a sure sign that he was condemned by God. Okay? And so for Jesus to be vindicated, for God to, to raise up Jesus and to say, the words of this man, the ministry of this man, that this one, that he, he is, right? What he spoke was true. What he said was true. The way he lived his life was the way I designed life to be. It's God's ultimate affirmation of Jesus and the way of Jesus. Even though everyone else I mean, Jesus comes and announces this, this kingdom that's breaking in. And we, we reject that kingdom. And we throw our lot in with the kingdoms of this world. And yet, God raises Jesus, exalts him, gives him a name above every name. It's God's ultimate yes. has all kinds of implications for us. God's ultimate affirmation that this really is the promised one, the Christ, the Messiah, the one for whom you've been waiting. And his way is the way that leads to life. And not just life later, but life now as I designed it to be. That's part, huge part, of what is being said in God's action of raising Jesus from the dead. It also clearly has implications for our own destiny. This is what Paul's trying to get at in 1 Corinthians 15. It's because Christ has been raised, because Christ has defeated death, that sin and death, because in the biblical view, those are connected, right? Um, death is a result of our sin. That's how sin, that's how death came into the world. That's the story we tell. And so, Jesus, in defeating death, has also defeated sin. And so, sin no longer has a hold on us. There's something new. There's a new possibility made available to us in the resurrection. And that is the, the, the possibility by God's grace and by the gift of the Spirit, which we'll come to in, I don't know, a month or two. We get to the third article of Creed. Um, right? That we, God is making possible a life that is not captivated to the power of sin and death. Because a lot of our daily life, if we're honest, 
um, our lives and lives around people around us is, is really in bondage to the power of sin. And we often think about sin as just a thing, a bad thing that you do or that I do. But scripture talks about sin um, much more comprehensively than that. It's, we talked about Jesus at the cross and resurrection defeating the principalities and powers. Sin is a power in the world. Right? Um, it's one of the things that is, you know, pushing us, pulling us, drawing us into the lives that we live that are so much uh, less than, such a shadow of the life that God wants for us. But part of the good news of the resurrection is that Jesus has defeated, ultimately, the power of sin and death. And you say, but don't sin and death still exist? They do. They do. Um, but scripture suggests that the, the ultimate defeat of these has happened. And Christians have thought, you know, tried to think of, you know, how do you, how do you explain the fact that this ultimate defeat has happened and yet we still see, still, it still feels like the battle's still going on. And, um, People have tried lots of different ways of talking about this. But I think it's helpful to be reminded that sin ultimately has been defeated even though the word hasn't gotten all the way out. Right? Some of you have heard stories about, say, the end of World War II. It's not, even though when the war was over, I mean, there were lots of places where the word didn't get out right away. And they continued fighting. Um... It's sort of like that. There's, the, there's these skirmishes going on, but the ultimate end has been determined. Um, I don't know how many of you play chess. Uh, I'm not a very good chess player. Um, but my oldest brother, um, who taught me to play chess, um, he was much better than I was. Um, but he was pretty kind in playing chess with me. Um, but there had always come to be a point in the game when I could tell by the way he was playing that he knew it was over, but I didn't actually know it was over yet. <laughs> I mean, he knew that like six moves from now, I was checkmated no matter what I did. But I kept playing as if the game was still on. But it was over. I mean, I didn't know how he was going to do it. I just, I could just, it was over, right? In the cross, God has checkmated, right? In the cross and resurrection, God has checkmated death and sin. The world doesn't know that yet, and it's still moving the pieces around the board. But it, the end is decided, okay? And, and you and I are living in this time between when the end has been determined and it becomes obvious to the rest of the world where it's all going. Now that's a long time, right? But that's, that's where we are. And so we, you and I don't live uh, with the assumption that like 
it's still up for grabs. You know, God might still lose. No. No, that's not, that's not what we stand and affirm when we affirm the Apostles' Creed. The things are still up in the air. No, when God raised Jesus from the dead, it was checkmate. Okay? It was checkmate at that point. Death and sin were defeated. And our calling is to live into that truth and to live in such a way that the rest of the world comes to see that. And that's, again, that's new life now. That's not just new life later. That's new life now. God, to know that the powers that so many people feel control their daily lives, even if they can't even name it, they wouldn't necessarily name it what controls their daily life, is the power of sin and death. But we do know that. But to live in such a way that, that is, those powers no longer have the hold on us that they did before what God did in cross and resurrection. That's who we're called to be. Last thing. It is clearly the source of our hope. And here we have to be clear because it's an easy place to get confused. Go back to 1 Corinthians 15 and we'll pick back up at verse 20. Where Paul says, But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have died. The first fruits. For since death came through a human being, the resurrection of the dead has also come through a human being. For as all die in Adam, so all will be made alive in Christ, but each in his own order. Christ the firstfruits, then at his coming, those who belong to Christ. Then comes the end, when he hands over the kingdom to God the Father, after he has destroyed every ruler and authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. So Jesus has been raised from the dead, and next week we'll talk about what does it mean for Jesus to be uh, at the right hand of the Father. But Jesus has, Jesus has been exalted into this new existence, an existence to which we ourselves have also been promised. And resurrection is not, I mean, here, here's the thing we'll have to, this is why we need the third article of the Creed. Got all those weird things in there. The next most controversial after Descendant to the Dead is resurrection of the body, right? Um, do we really believe that? Right? Because sometimes we, we hear the word resurrection and we substitute for that going to heaven. Now we'll have to say a lot more about this in the third article of the Creed, but we'll just signal it here. Right? The Christian hope, the Christian hope 
is this new creation, right, that the New Testament talks about. Right? A new heaven and a new earth. Where you and I will have, as Paul says, uh, we, to be a human is to be uh, an ensouled body, if you will. Um, we, are, we are bodily creatures. That's part of our good creation. Um, when Jesus is resurrected, he wasn't a ghost. He wasn't a spirit. The first, the, the Jews had words for that. That they knew what they know what they knew what ghosts were. They knew what spirits were. This was not what Jesus was. Right? He could be touched. He could eat. He could speak to them. Right? And I don't pretend to understand this. Right? But when we stand and affirm our faith, it's not like. Here's what everything is. We got it all figured out. Now, this is what we confess. This is what this is what has been handed down to us. This is where we place our trust. That our ultimate that, that heaven is not our final destination. Heaven is not our final destination. You know, the final view, the final vision at the end of Revelation is that the New Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and God makes God's way, makes God's place with us, right? Heaven isn't so much a place, I think, and I don't know. Um, but I don't think if like heaven's, if you just traveled out like beyond, you know, you know, Alpha Centauri, you know, and, and, and took a left and then went out a little bit past Aldebaran, and took a right at uh, Sirius, the dog star, you come to a place called heaven. I mean, I don't know. I haven't, I haven't been there. Um, but my hunch is that it's, it's, a, kind of, it's a kind of dimension uh, where, where God is fully present in a way that, that we see only through a veil darkly now. Right, um, and again, I don't know all that that means. What I do know is that the dead, we, we have every reason to believe and affirm that when we die, we we are with God, we are with Christ, and as Paul says right here, right, that we have time when we were will be all resurrected, enfleshed. And we'll enter the new creation. Right? We'll, we'll have bodies. We won't just be ethereal spirit creatures. Right? And, that, and that's as an affirmation of God's good creation. We'll have to come back to this when we talk about the resurrection of the body. But it's important to say here, because we're, we're trying to say, what is it that happened to Jesus? Right? Jesus was given a glorified body. He wasn't just a spirit creature. He was a glorified body. And that's an affirmation of Jesus and it's also an affirmation of humanity and the goodness of creation. Right? Our bodies are not evil. We're back to that heresy that we talked about very early on. Right? And this is good news. This is good news. 
Um, but it is something that goes beyond what we can clearly understand. It's part of what we, can, we confess. Um, and last thing we should say here about this is just to remind ourselves, Jesus does appear, but it's, it's clearly an act of faith. Uh, one of the things that Jesus does that's so surprising to me, um, or I guess I should say one of the things that Jesus does is what he doesn't do, right? Those of you who know, sometimes when you don't do something, it's an action. <laughs> right, it's not just the things you do that are action. Sometimes it's what you don't do that's the most important action. Notice that Jesus doesn't rise from the dead and then go back to the Pharisees and say, I'm back. <laughs> he doesn't go back to Pilate and say, boy, did you mess up. To think about all the people he could have gone to and said. You don't have to say anything. Right? Those Jesus do the only people Jesus appears to, right, were his followers. Right? Um, you can make it that what you will. But it's interesting that Jesus lets God vindicate him. Jesus doesn't have to vindicate himself. He lets God be his justifier. Let's God be his vindicator. Oh, I could learn a lot from that. Um, there's good news here. There's a lot to say here. This clearly has all kinds of implications for where we live. Let me just say one thing. And we'll pray. If God vindicates Jesus and places God's ultimate yes on Jesus and the way of Jesus, then we... We should be encouraged. We should be emboldened. We should be empowered. We should have courage to live into the way of Jesus, knowing this really is the way that leads to life. I'm not following Jesus because I think he was just happened to be a good guy and I just happen to like the way he said to live. There are lots of things he said the way to live I don't really like. Um, but we're called to live that way because God has said yes. This is the way that leads to life, and he did it through the resurrection. Let's pray. Gracious God, we realize that uh, we can't even pretend to understand uh, what, it, what you've done in and through Jesus Christ, through his life, through his death, through your raising him from the dead. And yet you've told us, you've given us intimations, you've given us uh, apparently all we need to know to by your grace and by the power of your spirit walk with boldness the way of Jesus. And so I pray that this week we would uh, anew, afresh, be emboldened and encouraged to walk the way of Jesus, knowing that it truly is the way that leads to life. And may that be our witness to the world, that you are a God who wants life for your creation, and that you have showed us the way to life. May we be people fully alive this week by your grace, by your action. We pray this through Christ. Yeah.